Thank you, Dan and choir and instrumentalists for beautiful music this morning. We continue our sermon series from the Acts of the Apostles. We've gone through the Gospel of Luke, and now we're on Volume 2 Acts. And if you missed a sermon in this Acts of the Apostles series, you can go to firstamarillo.org, and you can read them, print them off, or watch them, whatever you prefer. You too, the Gospel is for you too, Acts chapter 10. Psychiatrist Robert Coles liked to tell the story about a little girl by the name of Ruby. He met her during the early days of desegregation. Coles became literally intrigued by this seven-year-old girl who had to be escorted into the classroom by federal marshals. She would get out of the car, she would stop and pause for a moment, and then she'd look straight ahead, escorted by the marshals, and go to her classroom. Well, he got close to the family got to know Ruby's family, and finally he, he felt like he was close enough to ask the obvious. And so he said to seven-year-old Ruby, when you get out of the car with the federal marshals, why do you always make them pause for a moment before you head straight in the classroom? The seven-year-old said, well, I'm saying a little prayer. I say, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. This little girl had access to a religious tradition. And even as they were shouting racial slurs at her, even as they shouted at the Christ on the cross, she was able to say, because of his story, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. I'm going to tell you a story today. It's not as familiar as the story of the prodigal son it's not often repeated in Sunday school like the story of Zacchaeus, the little man who goes up into the tree. And while we all can quote the story of the woman caught in adultery and Jesus saying, let he who is out without sin cast the first stone, I, I dare say you probably can't quote lines from this story, but it's an important story. The first point is this. It's a story against prejudice. It's a story against prejudice. When C.S. Lewis was six or seven years of age, he went to his father and announced out loud, Daddy, I fear I have a prejudice against the French. Well, why, his father asked, not unreasonably, why do you have a prejudice against the French? To which C.S. Lewis replied at age six or seven, if I, I knew that, it wouldn't be a prejudice now, would it? He's quite right, of course. Prejudice means to judge before you have the facts, to prejudge. And so what little C.S. Lewis was saying is our prejudices are not based upon facts. We really don't understand them. They're just inward feelings we have against another person or another people. Well, the Jews of the Gentile had that sort of double prejudice going at the day of Peter. Now, Jews would tell a lot of wicked things, true or not, about the Gentiles, and they would give reasons why they couldn't go into a Gentile house, like that Gentile menfolk would make the women folk have abortions, and the fetuses were buried under the, the boards of the home, so you didn't want to go into an unclean home of a Gentile. And the Gentiles returned the favor, and they would say some very harsh things against the Jews, like, well, they were arrogant because they wouldn't eat 
the cheapest meat available, which is usually pork in most cultures. And since they wouldn't eat pork, they were arrogant. And they were arrogant because they always demanded to have one day off of week from work. And so, and they wouldn't go to the festivities that were celebrate the pagan temple. And they wouldn't participate in the great athletic games because they were dedicated to the emperors of, as gods. And so they said all these things about the Jews, and there was the anger there. And in fact, they said that the Jews were stealing from their pagan temples because the Jews didn't believe that those gods were the real, true one God. Well, you, you feel the atmosphere the Jews have ought against the Gentiles. The Gentiles have ought against the Jews. And in Acts 10, Peter has to lose his prejudice against the Gentiles. Now turn back to Acts chapter 1, verse 8. You remember this was our theme passage for the whole Acts of the Apostles. Acts 1-8 is the outline or the paradigm for the entirety of the Acts of the Apostles. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. As we've gone through the Acts of the Apostles, this verse is thematic and it's a paradigm for the outline of the book. We did see the gospel in chapter 2 begin in Jerusalem, didn't we? The fiery tongues came upon the apostles and they preached the story of Jesus. And everyone there from all the different groups and ethnicities and lands heard the gospel in their own language. So we saw it begin in Jerusalem. Then in a story we did not do in our sermon series in Acts chapter 8, the gospel goes to Samaria. And the Holy Spirit, even though they're having a revival, it does not descend upon the Samaritans because we have to wait till the apostles get there, among them Peter. And he lays hands upon the Samaritans. And the Samaritans, you remember, are half Jewish. They receive the Holy Spirit. So we begin in Jerusalem and Samaria and in the remotest part of the earth. We did do a sermon on the, the other story in Acts 8 where there is an Ethiopian eunuch the treasure of Queen Candace, who is reading the prophet Isaiah, and Philip explains to him that the suffering servant of Isaiah, that the real Lamb of God is Jesus. He sees a pool of water and says, hey, hey, look here, I want to get baptized right now. And Philip says, if you believe in Jesus, you can be baptized. And Philip goes into the water, and the Ethiopian goes into the water and is baptized. So already we have seen the gospel go from Jerusalem to Samaria to the remotest part, but now we're getting to the very end. Because today is a Roman soldier. Could the gospel possibly be for a Roman soldier? A member of the occupational army that's holding God's people hostage in their own land? Well, now back to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10. This is a despised Roman soldier. Perhaps this is the last group to hear, the gospel is for you too. The place, the city of Caesarea. The time is somewhere in the middle of the first century. It was an ordinary day, or so it seemed, 
until it becomes life-changing for the main character, Cornelius. Cornelius was a Roman soldier. That makes us think immediately that he was a, a villain. He was a, a bad guy. In fact, he was not only a soldier, he was a captain. He was over 100 men. Now, there in Caesarea, there was a fresh water supply, and they had archers who guarded the fresh water supply. An enemy would come in and cut off the water. You cut off the army. And so, well, the scholars think that most likely that Cornelius was in charge of a hundred archers who stood guard over the fresh water supply so no army could take over the water to take over the city. Now Caesarea is on the shores of the Mediterranean, about 65 miles northwest of Jerusalem. You hear the name Caesarea, you hear that? Caesar Augustus. It was renamed by Herod the Great, the one who killed all the infants the time of the birth of Jesus, to honor Caesar Augustus, the adopted heir of Julius Caesar. It became a Roman capital for the province of Judea. So it's an important place, Caesarea. But Cornelius, the Roman soldier, is a good guy. He's someone with a sincere and pure heart. He saw that paganism of the Romans was bankrupt. It had nothing to offer him. And so, oddly enough, this Roman soldier, Cornelius, began to long for the God of the Jews. In fact, he prayed to the God of the Jews. He gave offerings and alms to the God of the Jews. He was devout in every way he knew. He knew that his Roman gods were not the real God. He was worshiping the God who had created, the God who gave the commandments. And though he wasn't a Jew, even the Jews liked Cornelius. He was respected by the Jewish people in Caesarea. He didn't know a lot about God, but he knew he wanted to know more. He was the Gentile that stretched out his arms and he longed for the other shore, a true religion, worshiping Yahweh, the God of Israel. Unfortunately, the Jews had taken their election or their choice by God as a, a point of privilege and not to include other people. You remember when God blessed the one family of Abraham, his intention was through that family to bless all the nations of the earth. So much so that the psalmist and the prophets said that the Messiah would inherit all the nations and the Lord's servant would be the light to all the nations and all the nations would flow into the Lord's house to worship, that God would pour forth his spirit on all humankind. But it was a tragedy. Israel twisted the doctrine of election into one of favoritism. They filled it with racial pride and hatred against the Gentiles. And they despised the Gentiles as dogs and developed traditions. Why, no Jew would ever go into the home of a Gentile and certainly wouldn't invite a Gentile into his home. It would be absolutely unthinkable. And therefore... Before the gospel and ask can take the next step and make its way to the citizens of Rome, that prejudice, that distinction must be overcome. 
It's 3 o'clock in the afternoon. It's a time of prayer for the Jews. And suddenly Cornelius has a vision of the angel of God. The angel came to him, an unworthy Gentile, and in fact, the angel knew him by name. He called him Cornelius. It was a terrifying moment, and, and yes, Cornelius wanted to have a relationship with God, but he never dreamed it would happen this way. His heart was pounding, I suppose. His eyes grew as big as saucers. There's a shining creature in front of him, and, and maybe Cornelius would have explained it something like this. What was I supposed to do? I stood there with my eyes fixed upon the angel, the angel who called me by name. Somehow I muttered ever so weakly, yes, Lord, what is it, Lord? I've been praying to God a lot, just like you pray to God a lot, and I hoped that he would answer me, but I never dreamt that he would answer me like this. Cornelius, your prayers and your alms have come up before the throne of God. They're a memorial before God. The Lord gave me some very specific instructions. Go to Joppa, Go to the house of a man named Simon, who's a leather worker. There I want you to ask for another man named Simon, who also goes by the name of Peter. I didn't know who Peter was. I didn't know who Simon was either. I didn't know why the Lord wanted me to go to a city called Joppa, to the house of Simon, to find the other Simon called Peter, so he would come and preach some message to me and to my house. But when God called I responded. I summoned two of my household servants, my two most trusted, the ones who attended me all the time, and I sent them with the instructions to go to the house of Simon by the sea in Joppa and find the apostle Peter. About the time my men arrived, Peter found himself, it was the next day, and he was up on the rooftop trying to find some solitude right before lunch. Peter's part probably went like this. I, Peter, was praying, and I was, as I was praying, I became hungry, and my host was preparing the food down below, and I fell into a trance, into a vision, and the sky opened up, and something like a sheet became to descend down, and there were all sorts of animals upon the sheet. There was a, a camel and a crocodile, a rabbit and a pig, a lizard and an eagle, an ostrich and a chameleon, an owl, a buzzard, a bat, a stork and a mouse. And the voice said, get up, Peter, kill, prepare lunch, and eat it. Now, if it wasn't bad enough that I had to see that zoo of the dirty dozen, it was that voice that I was now a Jew supposed to eat lunch from those animals. Lord, you know me. I keep the law of Moses. I'm hungry, but I'm not that hungry. I'm not going to eat that. The voice commanded a second time. What God has called clean, no longer consider unclean. It happened a third time. What God has called clean, Peter, no longer consider unclean. And suddenly, as quickly as they came, yes, even more quickly, the sheet disappeared along with the animals. About that time, I heard some men and a knock at the door below. There were some men who had come, and they were looking for me, Simon Peter, at Simon the Tanner's house by the sea. And the Lord told me, don't be afraid of these men. 
You go with these men. I have a message for you to preach at their house. Well, Peter went down, asked them what they wanted. They told him the story. Our master Cornelius was praying at 3 o'clock yesterday, and he had a vision. He was to come and ask for you. And Peter said, stay the night with me, and we'll go to Cornelius' house tomorrow. It's about a 30-mile walk from Joppa to Caesarea. They get up the next day, and Peter goes with the Gentiles. He also invites some Jewish Christians to go with him, so he'll have some witnesses as what is going to happen. And when Peter arrives, Cornelius falls down at his feet and starts worshiping him. He was so eager to get it right. God had said, send for this guy named Peter. When Peter arrived, Cornelius hits the deck and worships. And Peter says, get up, get up. I'm a man just like you are. And then he knew that God was not talking about pigs. God was talking about people. For the first time, he understood, do not call unclean the thing that I have cleansed. So I'm here, he said. Why, do you, why did you send for me, Cornelius? Cornelius had gathered his family and all the pity, all the people from Caesarea. They were gathered, and Cornelius said, you're supposed to have a message for us. And so Peter began to preach. Peter began, look at verse 34, and opening his mouth, Peter said, and most certainly I understand now that God is not one to show partiality. In every nation, the man who fears him and does what is right is welcome to him. Peter's sermon perhaps went something like this. I would have never thought it that I, a Jew, would come into the home of a Gentile, much less a Roman soldier. But now I understand it's not based upon one's ethnicity or one's nationality, that there are men and women from every nation who fear God and try to live by God's law. They are the ones that are called the people of God. And it all begins, perhaps you've heard the story, all the prophets talked about him. His name was Jesus. He was baptized by John the baptizer. And he did wonderful deeds and works when he was on the earth. Why, he healed people who were sick. And he cast out demons for those who were demon-possessed. And then they crucified him. And they placed his body in a borrowed tomb, and on the third day, he came to life again, and we saw him. Oh, everybody didn't see him, but those who were elected to see him, we not only saw him, I saw him come to life. I sat down, and I ate a meal with him, Peter declared. All the prophets have spoken all about this. And even while Peter is preaching his sermon, his closing line is this. All people, all nations, if you repent, you receive the forgiveness of sin. All people, all nations, if you repent, you receive the forgiveness of sins. And while he's preaching, the Spirit falls upon those Gentiles in Caesarea at Cornelius' house. 
and they start praising God, and he can tell the, the Holy Spirit has come into their hearts. And, and Peter says, well, they've been baptized by the Spirit. Who am I to keep them from water baptism? The Spirit has fallen upon them. <laughs> I mean, I can't keep them from getting baptized now. And the Jews that had come with Peter from Joppa, they couldn't believe it. That the Spirit of God would fall upon the Gentiles and upon a Roman's house like Cornelius. And they were surprised. That was the first time Peter fully realized that the gospel is for you too. For everyone who will repent and call Jesus Lord. There's a second thing I want you to see, and that is, it is a message for repentance, not for tolerance. It is a message for repentance and not for tolerance. Now, some people have taken this story and gone completely the wrong direction with it. It's far too easy, given our Western minds and the culture in which we find ourselves with our own postmodern prejudices, to imagine this whole episode means that we get rid of all distinctions amongst people and everybody is just tolerant and accepting of the next group. There are a lot of pulpits where this story is read, and that's the end of the story, is that it doesn't matter. Just like all animals are clean, then all people and all religions are okay. And it really doesn't matter which path you take. All of those paths lead to the same God. That's a total misreading of this story. Peter was not saying that Cornelius could stay just like he was. The whole point was that Cornelius was casting aside the pagan gods of Rome for the one and only true God, Yahweh, of the Jews. No one in this story, the angel included, wanted Cornelius to stay where he was. Everybody in the story wanted Cornelius to hear Jesus preach and to repent for forgiveness and accept the lordship of Christ Jesus in his heart. There's not one shred, not one bit of the story that says all religions are the same and all lead to God. The whole reason that Cornelius was seeking and being faithful and why the Jews liked Cornelius was that he had cast aside the Roman gods the story is not about God accepting Cornelius just as he is. He didn't. He started the story where Cornelius was, but then he had the gospel preached to Cornelius that he would repent and call Jesus Lord and devote himself as a Gentile to be included in part of the people of God. In fact, this story acts out repentance, forgiveness, baptism, and receiving the Spirit. In fact, the story is quite the opposite. It's not tolerance, but it's repentance. The story tells us that there is only one true God. There's only one redeeming story, and that story centers on the person of Jesus. The Jewish rabbi who was 
the only Son of God who died on the cross. The preaching is that there is redemption in his death and redemption in his glorious resurrection on the third day and that Peter had seen him alive and this was the story, the one story to be told for all people everywhere. The story does tell us we're all in the same boat. The story does tell us that Jesus is available to all people. It does not tell us that God is tolerant of our misplaced priorities and the idols we create ourselves in worship. The call is to repent, for the gospel is for you too. I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe there's a, a prejudice in your own life that you need to hear the words thundering from heaven, do not call unclean that which I have cleansed. Sometimes we're not even aware of our own prejudices, and like little C.S. Lewis would have to admit, we really don't understand why we feel the way we feel. If, if we did, it wouldn't be a prejudice. It, it creeps inside of us through the generations, doesn't it? Maybe you're here this morning and you need to be honest like Peter was and realize, man, I never thought it, but now I see it. God loves all people. Then likewise, even as you see that God loves all people, it is for us to see there's only one way of salvation. There's only one story that makes a difference. There's only one crucified Messiah sung by the psalmist, preached by the prophets, and that story of crucified and resurrected Jesus is for everybody. It's not a call for us to tolerate false religions or say that they're okay. They're not okay. The end of their journey is eternal damnation. We need the one story of life, forgiveness, repentance, and redemption. One story. And the good news is, it's a story for you too. Maybe you're here this morning and you would say that it's your morning to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You might say, Pastor, what am I to do? You're to come forward and say you're like Cornelius. You're a sinner and you need a Savior. You're like Howie. You're a sinner and you need a Savior. In fact, what the story tells us is we're all in the same boat Everyone in this room has sinned, and everyone in this room needs a Savior. Is it your day to find the Savior? Is it your day to find a church home, a place to worship, and hear the Word of God proclaimed and God praised? Let us pray. Oh God, we come this morning. We realize afresh and anew that sometimes prejudice creeps in our own hearts and we're not even aware. And sometimes, too, Father, we find that we are beaten down in a culture that, that falsely claims that all truths are equally valid. When your word says there's one way, one truth, one Savior, one God, and all other ways lead to destruction. Father, I pray this morning there's someone who would come and call Jesus Lord that at the preaching of Peter this morning, 
about the Jesus that he saw resurrected, that today they would come and say, Jesus is Lord. In his name we pray, amen.